so many things going on in the world, uh, I can't even possibly begin to address all the possibilities and probabilities and problems that we are all addressing in these days, but our prayers are going forward in every format, and I will talk about a couple of things this morning. Again, if you came in late and didn't get communion, these are delicious, uh, so please don't, don't uh, forget to, to get, I'm just saying what we all have recognized over the last month in our troubling times is in our attempt to be more frugal uh, and careful, sometimes we have to suffer. And so uh, if you didn't, if you're at home worshiping online, I want to encourage you to just get uh, some juice and uh, bread, however you might, because at, after the sermon, I think it'll make sense um, what we're doing this morning in having communion together. Uh, if you brought your Bible, which I hope you did, I hope you brought your Bible uh, with you because we are uh, um, going to start a series this morning on one of the most unusual books in the Bible. Now, you, uh, you recognize that I, I, I've said this several times. I'm trying to preach through the Bible before uh, I retire. And by preach through, I mean preach a sermon series on every book of the Bible. And so I've done all the ones I wanted to do. Now I'm into the ones I didn't necessarily want to do. Uh, and one of those is the incredible book of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel, there are 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel. And they're very unusual. I'm not even going to begin to give you an entire overview of the book today. I'm going to stretch it out over the next 10 or 11 weeks. But when I thought about this and prayed about it and looked at it, I had no idea all the stuff we were going to be going through. I had no idea where we would be as a nation um, between the virus and uh, the the issues that are going on as we are once again facing the truth that we are not uh, a people that we thought we were. We are not united. We are not equal in so many different arenas. And again, I, I believe it all stems from a spiritual issue. We are a broken people. We are a, we are a sinful people. We are a self-centered people. And the answer from my perspective to all of this is the Lord, the need for repentance, the need to come back to him. Uh, and we'll look at this. And so we're going to study Ezekiel. So I hope you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, the verses will be on the screen. There should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you somewhere uh, because I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning, more than usual as far as uh, length of reading of Scripture, but hopefully you'll find it um, not only fascinating, but it will speak to you, it will speak to our time, time as well. On a Sunday after church, it was the end of January, like January, I don't know, 29th or something, 1989. Kathy and I had been married for about six months, seven months, uh, I, I just turned 30 the month before in December. Uh, my birthday's December 29th. You could write that down if you'd like. Um, but um, so at the end of January, I, I walk into a Bennigan's restaurant in the south side of Fort Worth, Texas. And in this room, side room, gathered were about 25 people or so. 
And when I walked into the room, they all yelled, surprise. Now, standing next to me was a guy named Chip Gordon, who was from Georgia in seminary with me. And so I turned to Chip, and I yelled, surprise, because I thought, okay, I just didn't get the memo. We were going to lunch to have a surprise party for Chip. must be his birthday. And Chip turns to me. Chip's a great guy. Chip turns to me, and he goes, it's for you. And I said, it's not my birthday. My birthday was a month ago. Well, my sweet wife didn't want my 30th birthday to go unnoticed. So all of our friends who were in school, of course, since my birthday is December what? 29th. Thank you. You know, now that I got rid of Cheryl, I can celebrate my birthday alone because we always share the same birthday. Um, anyway, all of our friends were gone for the holidays. And so they weren't around at the same time. So... Uh, she wanted my birthday to be special, so she planned it a month late, which was truly a surprise. And we had my 30th birthday party there at Bennegan's in Fort Worth. This is where we find this man, this prophet, this young priest, Ezekiel. Ezekiel has been carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. Now, uh, if you study history and understand uh, it, I have to restudy it every time I preach it, so it's not something you can hang on to probably all the time. But the Babylonians really conquered uh, the nation of Judah several times. They conquered them. They carried a wave of exiles off. Then they installed a puppet king who then rebelled against them. So they came back and conquered them again. And then they did some, another puppet king, and then they came back and conquered them again because they kept rising up, and the last time they just burned the place down. They just destroyed it. So in the first wave of people taken into exile was Daniel, and he ends up in the court of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. In the second wave of exiles is where we find this young prophet, this priest, uh, this young man by the name of Ezekiel, and he's been carried off, and unlike Daniel, who's in the court of the king. I'm not bad-mouthing Daniel, but Daniel's in the court of the king, and Ezekiel is in some sort of refugee camp by a river called the Kabar River. He's 700 miles from Jerusalem and probably about 200 miles from the capital of Babylon. And it is here where we find Ezekiel, and let's read Ezekiel Verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Busi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. For you grammar experts, notice anything that happens in these three verses? It changes from first person to third person. I, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, and the fifth day, while I was among the exiles, the heavens were open. And then it says on the fifth month, Fifth year of the exile, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest. The hand of the Lord was upon him. Uh, this is just a side note, but this is the only place really in the book 
where it changes from first person to third person so that we know that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, but it was probably transcribed or edited by, by someone else. Uh, so there's this comment just to let us, let us know, in case you're wondering uh, about that. Um, but some things I, that I think that are very significant just in these first few verses is Ezekiel says, I saw visions of God. The heavens opened and he has this vision of God. This, this, this book of Ezekiel, it is both prophetic and it's, it's got an apocalyptic vision of the Lord. It's it's like Revelation and Daniel and uh, other types of scripture that are, are, are like this. It is a remarkable, confusing, glorious book. But one of the things I really want you to notice as we begin our journey together in this discussion of Ezekiel is this. It, it dates when this vision occurred. When it says the 30th year, most scholars feel like this was... Ezekiel's 30th year, not 30th year in exile. It was the fifth day, the fifth month after this exile. Because of all the studies that are able to be done, this is one of the few days that can be exactly located as it is. The date was July 31st, 593 B.C. July 31st, 593 B.C. is the day this vision is attributed to. Here, here's my point. This vision that Ezekiel receives, this word from the Lord, it is rooted in history. It, it's, not like, it's not like Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away kind of thing in some time, some period. This is a date and a place. Ezekiel is by the Kabar River, a tributary um, of the Euphrates. It's He's in Babylon. He's in an exact location on an exact date, and the word of God comes to him. Ezekiel, whose name means God strengthens or toughens, is at the age of 30. And at this age, he as a priest, this would have been his year. This would have been the year that Ezekiel would have began his ministry in the temple. Um, he probably was around 25 when he was carried off into captivity as a young priest. Now, he's on his 30th birthday. It's, it, it's time for him to come into his own. It's time to be a priest. Don't you find it fascinating that Jesus began his public ministry when he was 30 as well? Uh, there are, God is at work in so many different, different ways. But Ezekiel is not where he thinks he's going to be, where he thought he, where he dreamed he would be. He would, I'm sure that when he was a young man and doing his studies and training, he was looking forward to the time when he would, could become 30 and he could minister in the temple and he could do what God had destined him to do. But now he finds himself in exile in a pagan land, 700 miles from where he's supposed to be. He, he, his, his future, his destiny has been been derailed and he could look at himself and say how did this happen what has occurred he could look at his surroundings in this refugee camp and say where is God in all of this he is he's in a predominantly pagan culture 
coming at life from a totally different worldview. He's with a people who are suffering because of the consequences of their national sin. They've lost perspective on who they are as the people of God. And he recognizes that he is there not because of his own personal sin, but because of the corporate sin of the people around him. What a challenge. He is indeed a stranger in a strange land. I would contend that in many ways, this book of Ezekiel speaks to us today. Now, let me say this, first of all, and I don't mean to offend anyone, so please don't um, be offended, but try and receive. The United States of America is not the people of God. That's not, when, when, so don't equate what happened to the Israelites to the United States. It's even scarier than that. The church, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. And God calls us out to be his people. Where does judgment begin? In the house of God. It begins among the people of God. But we, we will suffer the consequences, I believe, of the national sin of our country. I think we, will, we need to pray for our country. Obviously, in these days, we need to pray for our leaders. We, we are in a difficult time. But increasingly, I believe that the people of God, the church of God, unless some incredible revival occurs in our nation, we will increasingly find ourselves isolated and apart from the culture in which we live. We will find ourselves strangers in our own nation in a strange land. Now, I'm not a prophet. This is not a prophetic word. This is just, I believe that there is a, an aspect of the word of God to, to the people of God to prepare always to stand for God no matter where we are no matter what else is going on around us. And so Ezekiel Ezekiel is in this situation where he feels isolated and alone. And, and here's what I wanted you to see this morning, probably above all else, our God is a pursuing God. Our God is a pursuing God. He comes after us no matter where we are. Um, there's so many biblical examples. Think of Adam and Eve after they have sinned. God goes after them. Uh, Moses is on the backside of a desert, hiding from both God and the people when God comes to him. Ezekiel is in Babylon, hundreds of miles from the temple where he expects the presence of God to be, and God shows up. God will show up in your life no matter where you are. If you'll but listen. Now I'm going to read chapters 1 and then chapters 2. And then I'm going to comment. And I hope, I pray that we, we hear from the Lord as I read. And I also want to say this. This is one of the most beautiful, confusing passages. Familiar passages. The wheel in a wheel passage uh, in the Bible. And I could spend weeks literally weeks dissecting just the first 10 verses of this chapter. 
And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for you, uh, we really don't have the time because I want us to get an overall vision of what's taking place in this, in this book. So Ezekiel 1, verses 4 through 9 to begin with. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. I'm in verse 10 now. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. Verse 15, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite. And all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels moved beside them, beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. You got it? You got it perfectly in your head right now, what this, uh, what this looked like. And again, we could spend weeks, but let me just give you an overall picture. And by the, by the way, you couldn't draw this. You couldn't. I've seen artistic people try and put this on canvas. But Ezekiel is saying it looked like. It was the appearance of like this. Because he's trying to convey to the people of his time a vision of what he saw. And he's using as best he can relatable things to them. But it wasn't exactly that. It was the appearance of like that. That's the best he can do to describe the vision of what he saw. 
He sees a storm with lightning and surrounded by brilliant or blinding light. And in the fire or this blinding light, there were four living creatures. And let me say this. What he's trying to describe is God's chariot throne, the throne of God. You see, in ancient times, kings would be carried around on for lack of a better word, a, a chariot or a throne, a portable throne. And a lot of times this throne would be carried by men or, of course, if it was a chariot, it would be carried by horses. I mean, follow horses along. And the greater the throne, the greater the king. The bigger the throne and the most more glorious this throne, chariot throne, the, the bigger the king was. So this throne that Ezekiel is describing is carrying a display of the glory and splendor of God. It is really beyond description, and that's why he uses the appearance or it was like, uh, meaning that he's using terms that are relating to something that's unrelatable. So the creatures he describes are carrying the throne. And they had wings and legs and hands and faces and the the wings uh, partly touched each other. They had all these wings, and two of the wings that they had would touch each other, and some of the wings they had would cover themselves in humility. And these are, though he doesn't mention it, most people believe these are cherubim, like are described on um, the Ark of the Covenant, the wings on the top of the Ark of the Covenant that would reach over and touch each other. And do you remember what the Ark of the Covenant in the temple represented? That top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim on it? It's the glory seat, so to speak. The, the, the place where God resided. The, the resting place of God. Though God wasn't just there, but that's what it represented. The atonement seat of God. And so what he's describing, again, is something like that where God's presence is being carried about by these, by these cherubim. And they had four faces, a human, which uh, being, means being created in the image of God. It's uh, a lion, the king of the beast, the majesty, the strength, the ferocity, an ox, which was a domesticated animal, but functioned in their period as a symbol of uh, fertility as well. And then an eagle, which both represented majesty, uh, the swiftest bird, but also, believe it or not, to them, the eagle also represented compassion. Uh, because of the way the eagles would teach their young to fly, there's a compassionate aspect, uh, mercy aspect related to the eagle as well. And together, they really all represent the four corners of the earth. And then you had the wheels of a chariot, the wheels within a wheel. This is hard to describe, but it, it, remember that we're talking about 600 B.C. So back then, wheels went one direction, right? I mean, they just went this way. Uh, they hadn't really invented all the steering mechanisms. So you had front wheels, then the back wheels. These are, these are the best I could think of uh, were like caster chairs, uh, caster wheels on the bottom of your um, desk chair. You know how you can kind of float around on that plastic thing that you have um, if, you, if you've got carpet. They can go any direction they want without really moving. 
That's the kind of wheels he's describing. And it, what's incredible is he's describing something that really hasn't been invented yet. And there's this idea that, that this throne room, this chariot of God can go wherever he wants, however he wants. The four corners of the earth, he is not limited to space and time. This is really big. We, we, in our sensibilities, you know, when we see a SpaceX rocket launch and go to a, you know, space station, international space station, we, we limit ourselves. We don't think about the time and space limitations of 600 B.C. and the theological implications of what's taking place. You see, Ezekiel had been taught that the presence of God was in the temple. This is where God dwelt, in the temple. If you wanted to meet with God, you went to the temple. And in Ezekiel's time, there were gods over different lands. There weren't gods, but they believed in a god over the different lands. And in their mind, one god didn't go into another god's land. And Ezekiel is getting this vision of God that is saying, I am really God. I'm God over everything, and my presence is not limited to the temple. I can go where I want, when I want. And Ezekiel, I'm coming to you in the middle of a place you didn't think I could come, by the Kabar River in exile at a time when the people of God are far from me. Verses 22 and following. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what was like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty. Again, keep noticing the likes here. All these metaphors, how many times he says like, 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 because it's the best he can do. Like the tumult of the army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Verse 25. Then there came a voice from above the expanse, above their heads, as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist, up he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and from that, and from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of... I love it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. In this passage... Sight and sound converge. And he hears what is like the sound of roaring waters. This past week I was in, uh, since I saw you last Sunday, uh, I've been to at least 10 states and driven at least 2,000 miles. Uh, because I went to, I drove Adam back to Wyoming this past week. And um, we went on a hike one day after we nearly killed ourselves driving. I, I just not. It was a safe drive, but it was a long drive, as you might understand. We went hiking, and we went up to this certain point. And in the Tetons right now, where he lives, 
um, there's the snow melting and there's the runoff from the snow and this stream, this normal stream has turned into a, just an incredible waterfall. And the sound of it was so loud that I could, I could barely talk to Adam who is right next to me. And Ezekiel is saying, the sound that I heard was like that rushing water that just envelops you. You can hear it from a long way away, but when you get right up to it, it just, it covers you. Ezekiel may think that God cannot get to him, but Ezekiel, God is saying, I can get to you wherever you are. I am God and I go where I want. Nothing can stop me. I am the God who has a plan for this people and I have a plan for you to participate in my plan for this people. The truths that God reveals to Ezekiel about himself are basically like this. God, he bursts out of Ezekiel's box. Ezekiel has a box that he's put God in. By the way, we're probably guilty of this as well. We all have our are boxes in which we put God. And God is bursting out of that box and he's saying to Ezekiel, I am holy, I am majestic, I'm sovereign, I'm merciful, but most of all, I am present. I am here with you. And the message that I would like for us to hear this morning as we begin this study of Ezekiel is this. God sees you. God knows you. God has a plan for us. In the middle of this mess, God has a plan for us. In the middle of everything that's going on, God is still pursuing us. How, how do we know that God is still pursuing us? If God pursued Ezekiel in this glory and in this chariot and this throne. How do we know God is still pursuing us? Because the God who was on the throne stepped off the throne and into humanity. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only. He tabernacled. He made his home among us. God is still pursuing us. What is Ezekiel's response when he sees God? He falls down on his face. He's terrified. Chapter 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. By the way, this is kind of like being slain in the Spirit reverse, right? <laughs> Ezekiel's down. He's listening. And now the Spirit of God basically, Ezekiel's saying, I didn't even have the power to raise myself up. But the Spirit of God comes on him and raises him up. And I heard him speaking to me, verses 3 through following. I'm sorry, I lost, I, I did something bad here. I'm back. And he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. 
By the way, I, I can't comment on all of this, but here's your congregation, Ezekiel. This rebellious, obstinate, and stubborn people. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or are terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. I'm going to keep stopping. Anytime God says, don't be afraid three times in one verse, I think you've got something probably to be afraid of, right? There's something, this is not an easy Easy message. You're going to a rebellious, obstinate people. I'm going to give you a word. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I wasn't before, but I am now. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. This picturesque way that God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to give you my word now. Take it and eat it. Verses 9 of chapter 2 through verse 1 of chapter 3. Then I looked and saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unscrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. When we eat something, it becomes a part of us. I think we recognize that in our day and age. And the word of God is coming to Ezekiel in this picture of the scroll. And can you just, it's so hard to visualize God handing this scroll to Ezekiel and then he unrolls it and says eat it eat my word and I I think the picture here is multi-tiered it's for Ezekiel but it's also for us it's also for us because when we ever we study the Bible and I, I don't even like the term study the Bible because it limits it to an intellectual exercise Oh, I'm going to study God's word. I I understand it's biblical, but really the way that word is framed is like take it in. Eat the word of God. Let it become a part of you. Let it permeate to every cell in your organism. Let it it become part of you. And, And at the same time, we have to recognize that the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And that we're to partake of the word made flesh. That's why Jesus could say, if you, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Ezekiel is picturing what Christ is going to be. Who Christ is. And that we're going to, it's God's command to us to not lack, receive him intellectually, but to receive him into ourselves. The God who stepped off the glory throne, the chariot, and came to this earth, lived and died for our sins so that we 
a rebellious and obstinate people, no better than the Israelites, could be restored into relationship with him. And whenever we come to the table of the Lord, we are reenacting in some sense what Ezekiel discovered in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that we have to receive the word into ourselves. We're reminding ourselves. We're, we're acting out, so to speak, what God has done for us and who Jesus is to us. Whenever we take the bread and we eat it and it becomes the word made flesh, we receive God's word into ourselves. Whenever we drink the cup, we're saying our sins are forgiven because the God of glory stepped out of eternity into the human mess in order to restore an obstinate people. God did this for you and for me. That's why it says in Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What Ezekiel describes as like the appearance of this, miraculously we see as human in Jesus because he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. We are Indeed, strangers in a strange land. But we have been given the glory of God. We receive his glory into ourselves. And when we come to this time of communion, the Lord's table, where we remember his death until he returns, we are, we are receiving God's word into ourselves. That's why we're not to take it lightly. That's why we're to do it with reverence and respect and honor and thanksgiving and worship. This day, when we begin this study of Ezekiel, I want to encourage you to keep reading ahead. And you may come to places where you're like, I have no idea what this dude is talking about. Gabriel and Scott will explain it all to you in the next coming weeks. <laughs> we'll battle through it together and see how this is going to be awesome. Because the word of God is powerful. It's active. None of it is irrelevant. But this morning, I want us to begin our study by receiving God's word. Taking the scroll, so to speak, and eating. And letting it become a part of us. The word of God. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that your presence will be here among us. And as we celebrate your body that was broken for us, that the truth that what Ezekiel saw stepped into humanity to become a part of us and to die for us, we, we can't get our heads around it. So, God, I just pray this morning that you would move among us, that we would take this scroll, we would take the word, the word became flesh, made its dwelling among us, we would receive you into ourselves, and we would take this cup, and in doing so, thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, that we who were broken and many are now one as the people of God, and Lord, we thank you. Spirit of God, move among us. 
right now as we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So take your bread. Ezekiel, take and eat. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Take. This is the blood of Christ, which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. Before we leave this morning, let's just stand and sing the gospel together. The good news of what Jesus did for us and who he is for us. Let's sing together.